I had to chuckle a little bit when I saw the uh, announcements on the screen. It says a warm welcome (laughs) to you. Uh, It is a warm day. Our air conditioning, for some reason, did not turn on. So I pray that that would not distract you. Just pretend you were sitting out in the parking lot in January, okay? Um, All by yourself with no jacket on. I don't know if that will help you, but... um, I hope it won't be a a hindrance as we worship the Lord this morning. If you saw the title of my message today, it's not uh, not a misprint. Uh, Declaration of uh, Independence is what you might have expected, perhaps. But we turn to Psalm 130 this morning and we preach on the theme Declaration of Dependence. I can't even say it. Declaration of Dependence. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm, for the word that you have given to us to look at this morning. And Father, I pray that we would recognize how much we need you, declaring to you today, Lord, that we are dependent upon you. Lord, we depend upon you for our very next breath as well as everything that we need day by day. And so, Father, help us to understand that today. Help us to understand as well the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was 224 years ago that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Any of you alive then? No, I think most of you were probably not alive then. 224 years, 1776, July 4th, the Second Continental Congress held where? I have to tell you, huh? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The purpose was to announce and explain our separation from Great Britain. If you read this document, you will see that it is rightly... Uh, described as a Declaration of Independence. There are several references in this document to being free and independent states. But it's also a declaration in two other very important ways. It is a declaration of interdependence. Part of it says we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, fortunes, and our sacred honor. 
And so these men who signed this Declaration of Independence knew they could not do this alone, right? They depended on one another. There was an interdependence in this declaration. Most important, it was a declaration of dependence, dependence upon God. And you will find this phrase in this document. This announcement is made with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. So that this document is really three things. A declaration of independence, a declaration of interdependence, and most importantly, a declaration of dependence upon the Lord. Now, most people probably don't have a problem with being independent, right? Any of you have trouble with being independent? That's probably part of our nature, right? We want to be independent. We want to do our own thing, right? Even children. No, mommy, I do it. huh? Have you heard that before, parents? I do it. So that kind of comes natural, being uh, independent. And if it's for the right cause, we, we understand being interdependent, right? We depend on one another for a lot of different things. But there are some people who do not want to be dependent upon the Lord. They look at being dependent on someone or even God himself uh, that's a sign of weakness. One of our former governors stated he did not need religion because he did not need a crutch. Well, I declare to you today that I am dependent. I am dependent not on coffee, <laughs> not on sugar. I am dependent on Jesus. I declare my dependence upon him, and I would hope that you do the same today. That you would declare what the psalmist did, that he needed the Lord. So what does it mean to make a declaration of dependence? I think there's two things in this psalm. First of all, I declare, and I trust you do as well, I declare my great need for the Lord. The psalmist tells us in this psalm that he needed the Lord and he tells us why. Right in the first verse, he describes himself as being in the depths. We might say in the pits. huh? Verse 1, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. When you see the word depths in the psalms, it's often picturing trouble like deep and dangerous water. Just follow that word through the Psalms and you kind of get that picture repeatedly. Psalm 42 verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Psalm 69 verses 1 and 2 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. And I would suggest that this is likely the picture that the psalmist is giving here in Psalm 130. He is in a deep and dangerous body of water. So he does what he ought to have done. He cries out to God, Lord, I am in trouble. I am in the depths. I am in the pits. <laughs> Oh God, I, I look to you. Where else can I turn? 
Now, some of God's people have experienced this literally, haven't they? In the depths, in the pits. We think of Jeremiah. The prophet was thrown into a muddy cistern where he was sinking down. Daniel was thrown into a, a pit of lions. Uh, Jonah swallowed by a fish down to the very roots of the mountains. They experienced being in the depths literally. Now, that's not the kind of depths I'd like to be in. I cannot imagine being swallowed by a fish in a lion's den, sinking in a, in a miry hole of, 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 of mud. But aren't there experiences in life where it, it, it kind of feels like that? Where you're just, you're, you're in a position where the only solution, the only place to turn is to God, because there's nothing you can do. What was Jonah going to do in the belly of a fish? What was Daniel going to do in a lion's den? What was Jeremiah going to do in a, in, a, in a miry, slimy pit sinking down in the mud? There was no hope for them but in the Lord. And sometimes we are in positions like that where there is no hope in anyone else but in the Lord. When we are in the depths, we desperately need the Lord. There's another picture of the situation he was in, not just the depths, but the darkness. Verses 5 and 6. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. And have you been a watchman at night, a night watchman? There wasn't anybody in the first service either. I'll bet you some of you have worked nights, though. How many of you have worked nights? Isn't that joyful? That is such a fun time to work. The only reason some people like to work is because the boss isn't around at night. But otherwise, when you think of working nights, I'll tell you what, it gets long, doesn't it? Waiting for some sunlight to come up, waiting for the morning to arrive. It can seem like the night will never end. And, and so you think of the watchman here just waiting for that. And, and this psalmist really emphasizes that because he mentions it twice. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman waits for the morning. Isn't that what it's like when trials and troubles and sickness and pain come our way? It's like a long, dark night that just never seems to end. When you're sick at night, doesn't, doesn't the night seem so long? And when the morning light comes in, I don't know if you feel better, but it just seems a little bit better when the sun shines in. For some people, the dark night draws them to the Lord. They recognize in the midst of the depths and the darkness that they need to turn to Jesus. But there are other people who are so, so self-sufficient as if they don't need the Lord. They can handle it in themselves. <laughs> I got this, right? I'll find a way. We'll find an answer. Really? <laughs> Pastor Watson Jones remembers learning to ride a bike. Remember when you learned to ride a bike? 
His father was walking alongside him, him steadying him as he goes. But as little, little uh, Watson's driving along, he sees some girls. And you know what you do when you see girls, guys? Well, you've got to show off a little bit. And so he tells his dad, he said, I got this. <laughs> he didn't have it. He didn't have it at all. He started veering off and father caught him, but he thought he had it, right? I got this. And then Watson says, some of us are busy slapping Jesus' hands off the handlebars of our life. As if we got this. We don't need the Lord. We'll just make it on our own, right? How foolish can we be? Now, we might not say that to God, I've got this, but sometimes we live as if we think we got it. Sometimes the last thing we do is what? Pray, right? We, we, we try to find an answer. We try to figure out a way. If all else fails, pray, huh? Why pray when you can worry? I mean, that's, that's how we live sometimes. We need to declare our dependence. We need to cry out to God and say, God, I don't have this. I need you. We sang that this morning. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. There's our declaration of dependence. I declare my great need for the Lord. I'm glad the psalm doesn't end here because... We, we secondly, we declare our great hope, our great hope in the Lord. Even though the psalmist was in the pits, in the depths, in the darkness, he was not without hope as he wrote this psalm. There's no sense of despair here. He depended on the Lord. And in the Lord, there's always hope, right? Always hope. The first hope he describes here is the hope of forgiveness. And maybe that's part of the reason why the psalmist felt like he was in the depths, like he was in the pits, because he was conscious of his sin. He knows that he has sinned. He continues to fall short of the glory of God. And as he thinks about all the sins that he has committed, he is very much aware that apart from God's forgiveness, he couldn't stand before God. Look at verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? What's the answer to that question? Could you stand? Apart from God's forgiveness, could you stand in the presence of God and not face judgment? There is not one of us, not a single one of us who could stand, but... It goes on to say, but there is forgiveness with you. There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Why? Because Jesus took our sin upon himself. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took that sin and he nailed it to the cross. And that's why, that's why we have hope today, because the price has been paid. 
The blood has been shed. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, takes away that sin. And we can stand then before God, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. And that's why Luther described that righteousness as an alien righteousness. It's not a part of this world. It's a part of heaven. God brings it to us in His Son, Jesus. There's no greater news than to know that God is willing to forgive our sins. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. <laughs> Isn't that great? Sometimes sin abounds. You think of all that we've done in our life. If you were to add it up, just think of all the years you've lived and all the many times you've offended God. Sin abounds when you start looking at it that way. But grace, grace abounds more. Praise God for His marvelous grace today. But notice also the hope that He found in in God's Word. As the psalmist waits upon the Lord to deliver him, as he's this watchman who is longing for the hours of, of the night to end, notice that even in the darkness, he found hope. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. Where's his hope? And in his Word do I hope. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. This is not the waiting of hopeless resignation, but of hopeful anticipation. Wiersbe's got away with words. I love that. This is not the waiting of hopeless resignation, but of hopeful anticipation. So as he's in the darkness, in the depths, he has the word. And because he has the word, he has hope. In spite of the circumstances, standing on the promises of God, right? I've told you before, I'll tell you this one again. I remember when I was in seminary and Don Rodvold was, was uh, teaching our hymns and music of the church. And he said, there are some songs where the words don't quite match the music. Those of you who might have had him in Bible school maybe heard him say that. And one of them was standing on the promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. He said, it sounds more like skipping on the promises, jumping on the promises, hopping on the promises. And I said, but Mr. Rodvold, when you are standing on the promises of God, does, not, does that not give you joy? Does it not make you want to jump and hop and skip? He thought for a minute and he said, well, yeah, I suppose you're, I suppose you're right. Huh? When you have the Word of God, even in the midst of the pits, you have hope. You have hope. I think of the Apostle Paul as he writes his final epistle, Second Timothy, chapter 4. He knows that he's He's coming to the end of the road. He said, the time of my departure has come. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And he says, I've fought the good fight. I've, I've finished the race. So he knows that the finish line is, is very soon. 
What did he want? If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, he told Timothy, Come. He said, Come before winter. And he tells him in 2 Timothy 4 verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas. Probably going to be cold. He wanted to be warm. Then he says, And the books. Not sure what those were. Especially the parchments. And many Bible students believe that that's a reference to the Word of God. What did he want the most? He wanted the promises of God's Word, especially bring the parchments, because that's what was going to give him the strength to make it through those last days of life. It's the Word. He didn't want the Jerusalem Times or the... Uh, Roman sentinel or whatever it might be. <laughs> he wanted the Word. And I found when people are dying, that's what they want. They want the Word of God. Just to be reassured of God's promises. When I shared with Sharon Holmquist these last few weeks, I didn't come and bring the catalog with me or, you know, whatever magazine. He opened the Word. And that's what we need. If you want to know what God's Word can do for you, read Psalm 119. Read it this afternoon. Let me just give you some examples. Verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your Word. Verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your Word. Verse 49. Remember the Word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 52, I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. So what do we find in the Word? Revival. We find strength. We find hope. We find comfort. Romans 15, we read from that a little while ago. Verse 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance, and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. There it is. It's found in the Word of God. Now, if you look at the end of this psalm, it's really quite interesting, because the first six verses of the psalm, the psalmist is describing his own personal experience. How he was in the depths and how he was in the pits and in the darkness. And he cried out to God and he found forgiveness and, and hope. But then you come to verse 7 and it broadens. Now he's not speaking just about himself. Verse 7 he says, Oh, Israel. Oh, people of God. You need to know this. Oh, Israel. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So based upon all that he had experienced, the forgiveness of God and the hope in His Word, then he says, you know what, Israel, you need to know this. You need to understand this. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. That's where your hope is. It is not in anyone else. It is not in your bank account. It is found in Jesus. Put your hope in the Lord. That's where you find loving kindness. Verse 7. 
That's where you find abundant redemption. That's where you find that He can redeem you from all your iniquities. So have you experienced this hope? Do you know, do you know what this hope is all about that the psalmist describes? It is not in your circumstances. Don't think that you are going to find hope in your circumstances. Because our circumstances, they change, don't they? Wow, do they change. You won't find it in your feelings. Our feelings change, don't they? Up and down. Joy and sorrow. Where do we find that hope? The promise of God to forgive us and be present with us even in the dark times when it feels like the, the floods are going to sweep us away, we have a foundation. And that foundation is the unchanging Word of God. A declaration of dependence. That's what we need today. That's what our country needs. A declaration that we are dependent upon God. That we actually want to be one nation under God. That's our hope. That's our only hope. And we need to pray that the people of our land will embrace that truth, that fact. You will not find peace until the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, is your Savior. And if Jesus can unite Jew and Gentile, when you know what it was like between Jew and Gentile in those days, he broke down the dividing wall, made them into one body in Christ. That's the hope of the nation. And that's the only hope that you and I have today. And we need to declare that. God, I need you. God, I hope in you. God, I declare to you today that salvation is found in you. My uncle, back in the, I believe it was the 1950s, needed heart surgery, but they didn't do heart surgery on heart valves. He went down to Rochester. It was just a few years, as I remember, before they did any valve surgeries. And so he was dying. And my dad went down to visit him, and my uncle had been a great sports fan. He played hockey for Michigan Tech back in the... What would have been the 1930s or 40s, whatever. Um, loved baseball. And so when my dad went down to visit with him, you know how you kind of break the ice? You just start talking about whatever the weather. And, and so my dad walked into the room and he, he, he says to my uncle, he, he said, uh, the, the Tigers beat the uh, White Sox or something today. And my uncle looked at my dad and he said, Herb, he says, I don't care if the Tigers beat the White Sox. He wasn't ready to die. He wasn't ready to meet the Lord. And so my dad was able to share with him. He was in the depths. He was in the darkness. And my dad shared with him that there's forgiveness in Jesus. That there's salvation in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. And my uncle experienced the grace and mercy of God that day. And not long after that, he experienced the ultimate healing. <laughs> Brought into the presence 
of Jesus. He declared his dependence that day on the Lord and it changed his life for all eternity. I declare my dependence today. And I trust you would echo that. You would say, Lord, I declare my need for you. My hope is in you. And in you, Lord, there is redemption. There is loving kindness. There is forgiveness. There is hope. Father, thank you for that hope that we find in you. The hope that is ours because of the cross, because of the blood that Jesus shed for us on Calvary, uh, dying as our substitute, taking our place, offering to us that wonderful gift of forgiveness and everlasting life. Lord, I pray that those who hear this message today would be drawn to you, that there would be a recognition that apart from you, Lord, there is no hope. But in you, Lord Jesus, we stand on your promise and have that assurance of salvation. Father, use this word to encourage and to challenge and and to strengthen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.